Coming up on This Week in Game, shakeups at Activision as Call of Duty 2020's lead studio has changed. Nexon's employee union has a demonstration, and Collegiate Esports consolidates with a major acquisition. Coming up, This Week in Games. It's that time of the week for your video game industry news rundown. I'm your host, Aaron McConnell, and I'm late again. I'm sorry, I really am. I just moved. I'm recording this on my microphone that's sitting on a nightstand, and I'm sitting on a blow-up mattress that's kind of being used as a makeshift, makeshift temporary couch. But the game industry goes on, and so must I. So here I am to bring you the news, and we had a pretty big week, so let's kick it off. Drama Activision. Call of Duty Black Ops 2020 is having some internal Activision drama. So Kotaku is reporting that sources have reported to them that Activision has informed both Sledgehammer and Raven Software that Treyarch will be the lead developer on Black Ops 2020. Now, this kind of sounds like gibberish to some listeners, so I'll break down how Activision's three-studio cycle works for Call of Duty. So Activision has utilized its three first-person shooter studios in a rotating cycle, That started off in 2012, and kind of like the rotation goes like this. It goes Treyarch, then Infinity Ward, and then finally Sledgehammer in a three-year rotating cycle. So 2012 was Treyarch, 2013 was Infinity Ward, and 2014 was Sledgehammer. This effectively gives each studio three years to produce and ship a new Call of Duty title. And since 2012, Treyarch has been responsible for every Black Ops, starting with Black Ops 2. 2020 was the first time in, for a new Black Ops, but Activision threw a curveball and wanted to give support studio Raven Software a shot at leading a project in 2020 that was rumored to be set during the Cold War. But this recent internal memo said that kind of that work will be converted into Black Ops 5 and Treyarch will take the lead and Raven Software will go back to supporting. So normally Raven Software directly supports Sledgehammer and their Call of Duty games. Raven Software wanted to you know, kind of get up the bat and take the lead. Kotaku also reports that this kind of like last minute decision was driven by arguing and bickering between Sledgehammer and Raven Software as Raven normally plays support role to Sledgehammer, but this time that was kind of reversed, I guess. (sighs) Kind of sucks. So, you know, my business decision, (laughs) my business uh, opinion is probably a smart move on Activision. Call of Duty really isn't selling as well as Activision would hope these days. And any major hiccup in sales could be devastating for all of Activision Blizzard. I mean, people were freaking out when they laid off, well, 800 employees. Just think if, like, you know, Raven Software drops a terrible Call of Duty that doesn't sell or uh, Raven Software doesn't even make it in time. You know, like, you think 800 people are getting laid off. Probably over 2,000 would get laid off then. I'd really like to understand how much effort is required to produce and complete a single Call of Duty game. And really, if Raven Software can run their own project without supporting Call of Duty, no one wants to be relegated to a support studio forever, and it has to suck to get your big shot taken away. Um, That being said, you know, I mean, you are working on Call of Duty. Activision has to make money. Call of Duty has to ship. I, I just wonder, I really wonder, just like I wonder with EA and their sports franchise, and EA is very aware of this, you know, EA would let go of a subscription model. Call of Duty has has already pulled the plug on single-player campaigns before. So 
how much longer do we have every year Call of Duty $60 box releases? I don't know. And, you know, how much longer do all kind of four of these studios are tied to Call of Duty games indefinitely? I don't know. And is this really the best kind of way Activision can spend their studio's time and effort? Maybe, maybe not. So... We'll have to see. Uh, I really think this type of shakeup is going to lead to some big people leaving. I mean, people at Raven Software have to be furious. Um, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see how this falls out. But speaking of Sledgehammer games, Sledgehammer is opening a new studio in Melbourne, Australia. This isn't a big story, but uh, according to producer at Sledgehammer, this will not be a minor studio, but a full-on game studio complete with, like, you know, everyone you would need to make an entire game within studio. This comes on the heels of Epic Games also returning to Australia and opening a new studio of their own. It'd be curious to see if, like, an expansion like this maybe allows Sledgehammer to break free of the Call of Duty cycle or make a side game on top of their Call of Duty responsibilities. And it just leads to more questions, like, how does Activision allow one of their studios, like Sledgehammer, to expand internationally, but... You know, why not Infinity Ward or Treyarch or Raven Software? So just more questions. I don't really understand Activision. I've never worked there. Uh, if you have worked for Activision, please reach out to me. I'd love to, you know, kind of just see how the company operates. All right, next up. Nexon Korea's union holds a demonstration. So a year after forming the first game industry union in South Korea, the Korea IT Times is reporting that 600 members of Nexon's union had a demonstration to demand job security and protests against restructurings. And that went on earlier this week. So what does that mean? Kind of Nexon is in a rough state. Still really only has two games that fuel its earnings. And both those games are insanely old. You've heard me make fun of them time and time again. Dungeon Fighter Online and MapleStory. Um, this year, Nexon closed two U.S. studios. I think it's reported to cancel four internal projects. And uh, the CEO and major shareholder who owns like, I don't know, 94 to 98% of the company failed to sell or find an appropriate bidder when he had this like big publicized dramatic auction earlier this year, failed to sell his share in uh, Nexon. So Nexon, pretty rough year. And the demands kind of mainly revolve around how employees are treated if their project is canceled with four major projects being canceled this year. And two studios getting shut down makes perfect sense. But honestly, they have a pretty nice process compared to how U.S. game companies sometimes treat their employees. I think they get like three months of being in limbo while they interview for other jobs. And then if they get the job, they have to move, which is, I mean, standard. And then, um, yeah, giving three months of limbo time. I've been laid off. Trust me. You, <laughs> Some studios here, you get a cardboard box in a, in a like hey, we'll give you one week's of severance. <laughs> so three months is pretty nice. But, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I shouldn't be one of those people. Whenever, like, people try to unionize and fight for more rights, people like me who have been shitted on in our career, we like to go, yeah, but I've had it much worse. You know what? That's not the right thing. Getting treated fairly has to start somewhere, so I'm cheering you on next on union. And uh, let's get the game industry up to snuff. Come on. <laughs> All right. Let's go to business news. So VR chat raises $10 million in Series C funding. So for those of you who don't know, VR chat is, it was a pretty big hit. Uh, lots of Twitch streams on it. Uh, you could have avatars. You ran around in chat rooms. You could control the world. 
uh, I don't, I didn't really use it, but I watched people use it on Twitch. It was crazy. Um, previous investors, HTC, Brightstone Venture Capital, and GFR Fund were joined by a new investor, Makers Fund. So, uh, 10 million Series C, huh? <laughs> it's not good. VR Chat was one of the biggest shining stars of VR's potential a couple years ago. But like I said, a $10 million Series C isn't a great sign. VR Chat is probably running around classifying itself as some kind of like hybrid mishmash of a platform and a social network. Honestly, I'm surprised that they were able to get a Series C of $10 million given the state that VR is in. Maybe the recent success of the Oculus Quest or a long-term bet on VR's like 10-year dream that keeps going is what makes the money come in. But man, we've seen a lot of VR publishers and studios and platforms shutter kind of in the last year or get acquired for, you know, 20 cents on the dollar. So it's, <laughs> it's a success that they're able to get $10 million in Series C. But again... I don't really see people talking about VR chat and $10 million in Series C for a combo social network platform. Not a great sign. And next story, kind of the same thing. Metal.tv raises $9 million in Series A. So Metal.tv is net yet another platform social network combo. It's a video platform for sharing kind of like small link game clips with your friends, but without like the requirement of streaming like on Twitch. I guess you can think about it like Vine and TikTok, but for games and game clips, you know, PlayStation has a great built-in feature into the controller where you can kind of like, say, upload the last 10 seconds or record this. So maybe that's kind of the target for this. Okay, so Metal.TV claims 5 million in total users, not very high, and something around 100,000 DAU off of a seed round that they raised of 3.5 million, and they seem to be in business about seven months. But man, I don't know. Like, first of all, I don't really understand social media, so don't listen to investment advice from me. Um, Someone showed me TikTok a while ago. I thought it was terrible and low quality, and yet Everyone loves it and uses it. I never understood Instagram, so um, mentally I'm reaching the state of get off my lawn with social networks. <laughs> and so that being said, this seems solely like an acquisition play. And, you know, it, it's something I see in the Silicon Valley a lot. Raise a bunch of money, acquire a ton of targeted users that are lucrative gamers who spend a lot of money, get them to make content for you, and sell it off to Facebook, Amazon, slash Twitch, Google slash YouTube, or someone who wants eyeballs or gamers in general. And honestly, prove me wrong, Metal.TV. Like, this is this is a classic Silicon Valley play. Raise a bunch of money, acquire a bunch of users, burn the money to get growth, and sell off and hope for an acquisition. So I call it like I see it. I'm sorry. All right, next up. Major consolidations at the collegiate esports level as Boom TV acquires American Video Game League. Um, both of those very generic names. I'm sorry. This is a sassy Monday, guys. So Boom TV has acquired AVGL for an undisclosed sum, which will consolidate one of the biggest esports platforms for colleges with one of the biggest esports content producers for colleges. So I don't know. Outside of Riot's college teams, I haven't really seen any results come from this kind of like high school and college esports endeavor. Maybe one day a 5v5 smash tournament can happen between Clemson and Alabama and Garner a fraction of the interest of the FBS championship game. 
But you really need to get eyeballs in these big rivalries, you know, and ride the back of the NCAA divisions like ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, and so on. It's really hard because it's like, unless you get every, like, let's take the ACC, okay? Unless you get every college in the ACC to front, I don't know, Smash Brothers or league team, and then you run a league on, like, adjacent to like run it at the same time as maybe football or college basketball right and right on the backs of that rivalry and right the night before every big game for a team that team's esports team also has to play a big match like maybe i could see that working right but you're still gonna have to burn a bunch of capital to get eyeballs in that and you're gonna have to forego like profits and revenue for three to five years and maybe i could see that work but I just haven't seen I haven't seen the NCAA want to get in this. I haven't seen kind of like anyone execute on it. Riot really is doing okay, but uh, I don't know. I just esports at high school and colleges are going to be dominated probably by the NCAA and whatever the hell the high school NCAA is called. I I just don't see an outside player really doing it because of how licenses and teams and brands and universities work. So. I don't know. Negative view. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> All right, next up. Oh, update. Update story. Our favorite indie publisher, Annapurna Interactive's parent company, Annapurna Pictures, is out of financial hot water. So, yes, Annapurna Interactive, the publisher behind lots of indie darlings like Gorogora, One Remains of Edith Finch, Telling Lies is Safe Again, now that its parent company has cleared a little over $200 million in debt. But damn, there goes my plan to buy out the rights to all my favorite indie titles for pennies on the dollar. You know, I was really cheering for them, but halfway in the back of my mind, I was putting together like a VC pitch to go run out to VCs really fast and be like, here, give me give me $20 million and we're going to get every indie mega hit of the last five years, you know. Oh, well, you know, I, but congratulations, Annapreneur Interactive and keep on publishing those amazing hits. Final story of the week, Celeste developers effectively rebrand their studio. So Matt Thorson, founder behind Matt Makes Games, decides to shut down the studio behind Celeste and reopen as a new studio called Extremely OK Games, or EXOK for short. Effectively, the developer created this name and company in his parents' basement and had properly decided he and his collaborators had outgrown the name Good job, man. I think it's like Meltrimp's motto that says, like, hopefully everyone can outgrow their name. And I th- I think you appropriately outgrew your name. Uh, they already had a big hit, which is Towerfall. And, he, and kind of Matt Thorson said it, it seemed kind of immature for Towerfall to be made under Matt Inks games. So the fact that Celeste was then released under it probably, you know, go to conventions and it, it makes you seem conceited. I mean, we're not like consulting or law firms where you you really put your name in the name of a game studio. So I don't know. It probably looks bad, but I'm sure he's a cool dude. Uh, <laughs> all right, that's it. I'm sorry again, recording this on an air mattress, but I got you guys the news you need. So I'm Eric McConnell. Um, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app and uh, write me a review. Hit me up if you work for Activision, explain how Activision allows expansion of studios, and hit me up in general. So I'll see you guys next week for This Week in Games. I'm Eric McConnell signing off. Bye.